Hi everyone. This is the very first episode of the Wellbeing Designers podcast. My name is Reka Deak. I am your host. In the first season of the podcast, we will meet the first generation of well-being leaders. They are the ones who are called head of well-being or similar in big organizations. Their responsibility is to navigate through the growing amount of well-being offerings to create value for employees while also keeping the executive leadership team engaged about the topic of well-being. They are proving that investing into well-being pays off and create sustainable performance and business success. They are well-being designers. Let me introduce you our guest today, Eva Hausmann. Eva has been the first ever appointed head of personal resilience at Swiss Re, a role that she held until recently. Swiss Re is a Swiss reinsurance company with a global presence with more than 15,000 employees operating in about 25 countries across the globe. She has been responsible for driving and managing the development and execution of the personal resilience strategy globally, acting as a representative for the topic internally and externally. She is a wife, a mother of two teenagers and a mental health champion. In her free time, she enjoys activities that combines endurance with adrenaline in beautiful nature, trail running, ski touring, mountain biking, and road biking. So welcome, Eva. Did I miss something important from your intro that you would like to share? <laughs> Thank you, Rika. It's, it's really a pleasure to be here. No, you didn't miss anything, and I think we will get deeper anyway as we talk. I can share it with the listeners that as a preparation for our podcast, we even did a hike together yesterday in the beautiful Swiss snowy mountains. So that was really amazing. So thank you for that. Yeah, it was a great day. You know, Zurich and the valleys were filled with fog and we managed to get above the fog line, see the sun, and it included a lot of, you know, spontaneous interaction. I am very curious, and so are the listeners, why did you choose well-being as your focus area? I started my career as a consultant. I've then joined one of my favorite clients and ever since had a focus on topics like the future of work, community engagement, but also diversity, equity, and inclusion. And five years ago that I got to know about a local initiative in the UK where a colleague of mine had started a mental health network and she presented that to us in Zurich. And I thought, gosh, the, the value proposition of that network is so simple, even I can do it. And the idea is that we would have colleagues, so-called mental health champions that are prepared to lend an open ear to any colleague and talk about mental health problems, issues, you know, anything actually. And we do this with an open mind, not trying to diagnose or fix the other person, but happy to signpost to additional resources. And that value proposition was so compelling. It really spoke to me that I joined, then founded Swiss chapter of the same network. And I 
became a global co-leader and helped the network to become global. And that was really the start of it all for us. And so when the pandemic hit, Swissfree was already looking at a global network of mental health champions that could support very much in the beginning of the crisis already. Why is well-being important at Swissree? And what kind of organizational challenges was it meant to solve at the beginning? I think Swissree has always been known as a good employer, as an employer of choice. Swissree has a long history of looking well after its employees. One of the prime perks, it wasn't meant as a perk, but one of the main reasons why people join Swissree is a program called Earn the Way You Work that allows people to flexibly choose when and where to work. And that, of course, again, with the pandemic was a great start. People already knew what home office was. So Swissree always had this as part of the DNA of the company. But then when the pandemic struck, the topic of well-being suddenly propelled to the top of the agenda. And one should know that the Swiss remission is to make the world more resilient, which means that when disaster strikes, the company is there to help people get back on their feet. And we realized, especially with the pandemic, unless our people themselves are resilient, they are not capable of living up to that promise. So really, the pandemic was the start of pulling everything together under a strategy. And since I was already engaged with mental health, I raised my hand and I said, that's a topic I really would love to work on. And so this is how it started. Starting with the strategy, we initially put together a cross-functional team of people from different disciplines at Swissree. So we had people that were experts for benefits, or we had people that were good in life and health underwriting and knew the market and the solutions that we could provide to, to help people in their personal resilience. We also had people from learning and development, from communication, from change management, from people analytics, of course, we were looking at data too. And we also worked, and I'm very proud of that, with the Swiss Re Foundation, which then became part of that personal resilience strategy. So we created a framework that sits on four pillars, and that is really market best practice. It's not something that we invented, but we built our resilience strategy on physical, mental, financial and community well-being. I should say that initially we were assuming that this would be mainly a benefits play because, you know, what does your company give, you know, to support you in your resilience? You know, do, do you get insurance cover? And all of that, I must say, is important. And we've been able to make changes there that really truly benefit people in their resilience. So one, one example, for instance, would be a critical care leave. If you have a family member that is critically ill, you get extra leave. That's one of the changes we made. But through our structured interviews, we also realized that it's not so much about benefits that might help a few in specific circumstances, but we really had to work on the, on the culture overall, something that everybody would feel a difference. And, and while we were talking to people, we realized that many of them 
started talking about their relationship to their line manager. Hmm. So some line managers were very caring, very accommodating, very empathetic, very flexible, and others weren't. So the importance of them became clear. But then how did you engage the executive senior leadership of the company? What was their role in this process? Yes, so the mere fact that we were able to work on the well-being strategy was due to the fact that the group executive committee agreed to those priorities that well-being would be one of them. So it was very much on the agenda. It was endorsed by the group executive committee that we would have a personal resilience strategy. They also understood that they would have a role modeling effect. Mm -hmm. So when we talked about behavior change, the GEC, that's the abbreviation for the group executive committee, really, really made conscious decisions about their own behavior and then talked about that. So for instance, one of the things that we learned is that a lot of people don't dare to go on holidays and really, really switch off. And so we started a campaign called It's Okay to Take a Break. It's okay Mm. to set boundaries, to say no. And, And we did that just before the summer holidays. And then the GEC members came back and said, wow, that was a different holiday. We really switched off. And then they Mm. spoke about this with with the organization. And then it became a thing that people started saying, you know, it's okay because he does that too. She does that too. And so it really became a discussion topic. When we had town halls, for instance, led by the CEO, He would make statements like, you know, this is how I experienced my summer break. I really want you to have a break too, for instance. Mm. And one critical moment, and you could say it was just a token gesture, but one critical moment was that the group executive committee decided to give all employees of Swiss Re Resilience Day, a Swiss Resilience Day play on words, the 15th of January, everybody was given a day off. And that was really to thank people for their hard work during the pandemic. But it was also very much a a message, which is, look, this is a day for you. You should switch off. You should not check your email because everybody else will be off too. So don't expect any emails in your inbox. That was very important and had a very strong signaling effect. And you mentioned these four pillars, uh, physical, mental, uh, financial, and the community aspect. How much did you do separate interventions like this? It's okay to take a break that's on the mental level, or how much did you do something overarching? One I would like to mention in particular is the Atlas Go Challenge. We had a challenge that ran over a couple of weeks where people were encouraged to engage in activities that were good for their mental or physical well-being or both mm-hmm. and clock that with an app and every time they clocked an activity like that with the app that released a financial donation to a good cause and so people were basically also supporting the community well-being in the wider sense swiss we had used this atlas go challenge before for other activities, but this time in particular, we also encourage people, for instance, to clock if they took a nap, right? Mm. So snoozing, snoozing, good for your mental health, actually 
helps the farmers in Ecuador buy seeds for farming. So, you know, it was again a great vehicle to transport some very important messages. Yeah, 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 that's really beautiful how you connected all of it. Hmm. You mentioned it already. So your organization, Swiss Re, started to focus already before COVID on all aspects of well-being. Do you know what was really back then the motivator, what underlying goals the company had? Swiss Re has always been known as a good employer, right? So given the nature of our business, you want to attract the the brightest talents. You want to attract people that give their fullest to come up with very creative, innovative solutions to make sure that we can offer a lot more and more protection coverage for, for people around the world and also cover risks that until then maybe would have been not covered. So that, that's a long history. The On The Way You Work initiative that allowed flexible working was initially a program to support diversity. It was about you know, creating a level playing field for men and women in the workplace. But we now realize that On The Way You Work does so much more than that. You know? It allows you to prioritize your well-being, it helps you to structure your day according to your chronotype, for instance, to take breaks as and when you need them. So it's not just about making sure that men and women have the same chances at work, but I think it goes beyond that. You mentioned more programs, the Atlas Challenge, it's okay to take a break, all sound like really cool examples. Did you at all measure somehow the results? And if yes, how did you do that? It's always uh, tricky, even if you do it with the digital support. Yes. So three things, really. So one is we included well-being questions in the employee survey. Mm -hmm. So we kept measuring to what extent people felt that the company showed care and concern or that they were supported by their line managers. So that really continued to be measured and you can really benchmark uh, the progress over the years. Then we also created a well-being dashboard where we had KPIs that were indicators, not absolute measures uh, of well-being. So for instance, uh, the number of sick days that people took, the duration of sick days, whether or not people took holidays, whether they Mm -hmm. took proper holidays and with that I mean two weeks in a row we could measure turnover and also to what extent we are still an attractive employer by the number of applications that we would receive for openings so that is something we measured and where you then put your hands on data and you can start correlating which is very interesting But then we also had structured interviews because you don't get everything through surveys, right? That continued to be a very important way to to feel the pulse. What were the obstacles you experienced during the implementation of these programs? Both, you know, maybe from an employee side, people didn't like it, didn't resonate so much, or, you know, some resistance from the leadership side. Hmm. The first resistance we've, we encountered was the word well-being in itself. The, there was a little bit of concern that this was all about pampering employees. 
mm. which is not the case, right? So we then quickly realized that we should have a Swiss way of talking about this. This is why we came up with the term personal resilience, which we then also defined as our maintaining our ability to perform. So very, very much a, a business focus rather than this is just feeling good, right? So that was the first, not hindrance, not a hurdle, but it was an aha moment for us to say, mm. okay, we, we need to make sure that we go about this with a, with a business mindset and in context of this, this, the business challenges that we face. When we talk about culture and be behavior change, of course, people have been raised in an environment where the more you worked, the more successful you were, right? And sometimes it takes a break to maintain your ability to perform. For some people, it was clear, but others were raised differently. And right to, to overcome these belief systems, that, that was a challenge, still is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I would add the word unlearn, which unlearn. is also, yeah. yeah, change these mindsets or old behaviors. Mm -hmm. And that takes time, right? It takes time. It takes positive reinforcement. You need a lot of people in your network that live and breathe it. So you don't stand out as the only one who does it. And then it normalizes the discussion, it normalizes the behavior. But that's a journey, and I don't expect miracles overnight. Going a bit into the future, how do you see that the topic of personal resilience will evolve within the organization? And then also we can go a bit beyond. How do you see it outside? Yes. So I'm leaving Susri at a point in time where personal resilience has been integrated into the remit of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that is a development that I see elsewhere as well. So a lot of the work that we have done in the well-being space also speaks to inclusion. And so I think there are a lot of synergies to be gained. Generally speaking, where do I see the topic of well-being going? I think it's going to gain more and more momentum. And again, we have the, to thank the COVID crisis for that. I do expect burnout cases to continue to go up. And I think that will be a wake-up call for many companies that have not yet invested in that space to, to invest into prevention and also make sure that they have good support when, you know, when the challenges actually strike. It's a huge role that companies have because they employ so many people. So it's always a question how much it is their responsibility to take care of their employees' well-being or it's a personal responsibility. Luckily, we are at a point where there are movements around well-being, not only in corporate. We just talked about this yesterday that I read the statistics since COVID. For instance, in Switzerland, the cases of suicide decreased and they say it's also because we now talk openly more about mental health, um, which is only one aspect, but a huge aspect of well-being, of course. Yes, well, I'm, I'm glad that's, that's a very positive development that suicides decreased. Burnouts on the other side and mental health challenges have increased. So mm. I, I'm glad that people will find a support before they don't see an opportunity for help. But 
the number of people that need help have increased. Hmm. As a closing, uh, is there anything else that you would add? I think we, we spoke about senior leaders, but we did not talk about middle management, which I think plays a, a very critical role for the experience reality of many employees. CEOs, often the person high up, far away, you know, a role model, but not somebody who impacts my daily life. My direct line manager, however, does. And I mentioned the Swiss Resilience Day, which was a huge success at Swiss Re. I mean, people were really, really grateful for this very important message that we then very quickly followed up with an invitation to all line managers to join a program called Burn Bright, Don't Burn Out. And we, we realized that we need to offer them the training first because like in an airplane, you, you attend to yourself first. When the oxygen mask drop, mm. you put on the oxygen mask first. And so we felt we needed to offer a training first to line managers. And the title Burn Bright, Don't Burn Out really resonated and the program content itself as well, that it became the most popular training ever for line managers. <sighs> Ever. And the concept that we trained in this 90 minute intervention was very simple, right? A lot of people are stuck in a vicious circle where, you know, they don't look after themselves, they work hard, they eat poorly, they don't sleep, etc. And then, you know, they're probably very bad line managers to their people. And how can you turn this around to become a virtuous circle? How can you make sure that you have the resources to actually be a good line managers to your people? And I trust and hope that this has made a huge difference. I have two more questions, the quickies at the end. What would be your advice to other well-being leaders out there? There are some who are just starting their work as a well-being leader. Keep going. It's the right topic. It's a topic that is crucial and important to the well-being of many, many people. So stick to it. Make sure that you anchor it in the business challenges of your company. That mm. I think is important because otherwise it becomes a fluffy feel-good exercise which will get limited support. And the last one, which is a more personal one, what is your personal well-being advice for listeners? In your intro, we mentioned that you are a very active person mental health champion and also physical health champion. So how do you maintain your own well-being? Yeah, simply by going outdoors. It's mm. It doesn't have to be a big hike or, you know, an adventurous bike ride. Even in the busy day, I will find half an hour to go for a walk. Just a mere exposure to nature, to sun, to fresh air makes a huge difference. Yeah, but that's me. That's me. I know that other people find energy in creativity, in music, in social interaction. There's really no one size fits all. I think everyone needs to find the way to recharge that works for them. I can totally relate to both what you said. <laughs> Going outdoors, that's also for me something. And then everyone has to find their own activity. 
Thanks a lot, Eva. We learned a lot about you as a person and your work at Swiss Re. We are looking forward to following your journey. What comes up next? And invite you back in the future. Thank you, Rika. It's been a pleasure. I hope that you enjoyed the first episode of the Wellbeing Designers podcast. If you would like to connect with us, please reach out to me via LinkedIn or email via the links in the description. I am keen to hear about your story, your ideas, your feedbacks. Together we can design the future of well-being and make workplaces fit for humans. Oh, my God.